I'd like you to turn back to that passage which was read to us from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. And I would like us to uh, focus particularly on words which are repeated uh, in verses 3 and 5. In verse 3 we read, Jesus answered, haven't you read what David did? And again in verse 5, Jesus says, haven't you read in the law? Haven't you read? One of the challenges that we face in the United Kingdom uh, tonight is that uh, over half of the people in the land is well over half, 54%, uh, think that the Bible is an important book, but seven out of eight of these admit that they don't read it all that often. In other words, they tell us that the Bible has a reasonably high profile in their thinking, but it is not a book that they read or meditate upon very often. And some recent research has also indicated that one in six of every person who attends church in Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, and Wales have never read anything in the Bible. So we are facing a challenge, indeed a crisis, of what we might describe as biblical illiteracy in the church in our land. But not only do we see this situation of a lack of knowledge of the Bible and lack of use of the Bible, but we face a situation where there is a great deal of confusion about what the Bible teaches. Uh, we see that in the current discussion, even in the churches, on the whole question of sexuality and what God's purpose for marriage is. There's enormous confusion. And one can find that texts are chosen that support uh, positions that uh, seem to be bizarre. Or again, if we think of the way in which the church has expanded dramatically in Africa particularly, one uh, recognizes that uh, in many of these younger uh, churches, there's a great deal of what is called prosperity teaching, where uh, people are taught that if they will believe, they will become rich. And that is one of the cha big challenges that we face in the world today. Just as in the New Testament, as the church grew, there was a considerable amount of false teaching. Now, people who teach prosperity teaching will quote scripture, and they'll quote uh, uh, Psalm 1, for example, whatsoever uh, the, the person who meditates upon God's law does, whatsoever they, whatever, whatsoever they, they do, will, they will prosper. And this whole focus on prosperity teaching is one which is, uh, which is very dangerous today, and, but it arises through people misquoting or quoting scripture incorrectly. And so that's why it's so important to uh, discover how we ought to read the Bible and how we ought to interpret scripture. You can prove virtually anything from scripture if you take a random verse from here or there. And we need to discover how to interpret Scripture. And that's why Jesus challenged the Pharisees on this particular occasion. He says, have you never read? 
They were challenging uh, his disciples uh, about their conduct on the Sabbath day. They took the Sabbath commandment extremely seriously. They regarded it as a hedge that protected the people against the moral and religious contamination of pagan customs which were flooding into their culture as a result of the dominant uh, Roman and Greek culture. And, of course, they were a subject people at the time, and they had, uh, to some extent, little control over the influences that came in from outside. And so the Sabbath was taken as a, as a, as a hedge or as a barrier or as a wall. And they did this not simply by seeking to observe the Sabbath, but by seeking to observe it in certain ways. Uh, the Pharisees, the, the rabbis identified 39 categories of work which were forbidden on the Sabbath. And each of these 39 categories had sub-categories. Uh, and you had uh, hundreds of different uh, commandments. And uh, the, the Sabbath was interpreted in a very legalistic way. In fact, some rabbis used to say that it was, you broke the Sabbath if you had a false tooth and you were therefore carrying a burden. And it was, it was carried uh, really to uh, ridiculous uh, extremes. But it was the commandment above all others for the Pharisees. Uh, and perhaps it, uh, to help us understand just the strength of feeling uh, that uh, this commandment uh, evoked among uh, the Pharisees and the scribes of the time, we can compare it with uh, today's Muslim prohibition of pictorial representations of Muhammad. And we know the problems that there were in Denmark and elsewhere when uh, pictorial uh, representations of the Prophet Muhammad uh, were uh, printed or published uh, in uh, different media in that, in that land. And that's the kind of, of, of situation, I think, that uh, Jesus and the disciples face here. And so the disciples are accused of breaking the Sabbath. They were uh, gathering the corn. They were, they, were, they were guilty, therefore, of reaping. Uh, they were also guilty because they, one of the Gospels tells us that they rubbed the ears of corn. They were guilty of thrashing uh, on the Sabbath day. And uh, they were, in these ways, guilty, according to the Pharisees, of breaking the commandment. <clears throat> and so Jesus challenges them, and he says, have you never read? And he takes them to task through having this uh, legalistic uh, approach to the Sabbath day. He appeals to Scripture, have you never read? And uh, I think he, 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 he gives us an example here. Because he, just as he lived his life here on earth under the word of God, so he calls upon us to follow in his example. It's important for us to remember that Jesus, when he lived on earth, was living a life of humiliation. He was living a life of faith. He was living a life of obedience. And he was obedient to the will of God as that will was revealed in Scripture. And so he committed his life. Uh, and his, 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 his mission in life, uh, according to what the Father taught him from the Scriptures. And in this sense, Jesus is a model for us. He's a model for us, not simply how to read the Scriptures, but how to engage with them. 
And uh, in the Bible Society movement, we, 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 we've stopped perhaps using the word reading Scripture and using the word engaging with Scripture because it's more than simply reading. It's reading and absorbing, it's reading and meditating, it's reading and obeying and so on. It is engaging with Scripture. And Jesus lived his life here on earth and fulfilled his ministry out of the Word of God. He was one who, was, who submitted himself to the will of his Father and how did he discover the will of his father? He discovered the will of, of his father, partly at least through the scriptures. Now, what can we learn from Jesus' approach uh, to the Bible, to the scriptures, uh, on this occasion? I think his approach involves three steps in engaging with the scripture. The first is the question, the step of memory. Haven't you read Jesus is reminding the Pharisees of the scriptures that they already knew. It wasn't that they didn't know the scriptures like many people in the churches in, uh, in Scotland uh, tonight. It is the fact that they had forgotten them and that they weren't able to remember them. So he twice challenges them. He twice asks them this question. He's challenging them to recall key passages of the, of the Bible. And in the, in the dialogue uh, that follows, we find that uh, Jesus alludes to uh, five different, uh, 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 yeah, four different passages of Scripture. He refers to 1 Samuel chapter 21, to Leviticus chapter 24, to Numbers chapter 28, and to Hosea chapter 6. And so Jesus is here I think, reminding us that the key to discovering God's will is to know the Scriptures. And to know the Scriptures not simply uh, on a computer, or to know the Scriptures not simply through a concordance, but to know the Scriptures so that we can recall them. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he did not have a big scroll of the book of Deuteronomy under his arm, but he was able to recall uh, three key texts from the book of Deuteronomy when he was confronted there by the devil in the wilderness. And Jesus obviously had learned the scriptures. He had memorized them. He had gone to, presumably gone to school along with other children in Nazareth. And uh, the, 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 the key textbook in the Jewish schools of that time was the Old Testament, was the Bible. And in fact, uh, the, the Hebrew name for a school at that time was the, the house of the book. And the book was the book of the scriptures. And that was the key textbook. And Jesus would have learned the scriptures there uh, in, 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 in school. He would have learned them at his mother and at his father's knee. Uh, he had memorized the scriptures. And so he was able to recall them. He was able to use them. Uh, and so often we today find ourselves that when we face critical situations and we've got to make a crucial decision, our Bible is not there. We've left it at home. And that's why it's so important for us to memorize Scripture and to be able to recall Scripture. One of the challenges I think that we face today is that we have become dependent upon electronic media. Now, electronic media are a great blessing, and I use them frequently. But they are not a substitute for human memory. And it's important for us, I think, to memorize Scripture because as we memorize Scripture, we absorb it. We absorb it into our personalities. We absorb it into our heart. And Scripture goes down 
even deeper in our personalities than, than, than places our minds can reach. And uh, Spurgeon, to see it, Spurgeon, the Baptist uh, preacher in the Victorian era in, in London, used to urge his congregation to study and meditate and memorize the scriptures until their blood became what he called bibline, that they would, they would absorb the scriptures and just let them sink down deep into their personalities so that, that when they were confronted with the need for guidance or when they had to face temptation and had to make a, a crucial decision, they were able, they had the scriptures at their fingertips, as it were. They were able to recall a scripture. And so memorization today is, is vitally important. And one of the challenges I think that we face from having so many different uh, tr English translations, and that's a great blessing in many ways, but one of the disadvantages is that uh, we find it difficult to memorize because there's uh, so many versions that we can choose from. And therefore, we find that difficult. In Africa, some of the illiterate Christians know their Bibles better than those who can read. Because they have very often learned to memorize Scripture from music. There's a Wolaita tribe in, in, in Ethiopia, for example, which uh, in recent times, has, has, and, and probably still today, has been to a large extent illiterate. Now, the Walaita Christian people know their Bibles well because uh, the church has developed a, a, a musical score to go along with scriptures so that they sing the scriptures and they sing them again and again and again and the scriptures uh, uh, become locked into their memory and sink into their personality and they are able to use these scriptures when they face temptation and when they face many other, uh, many other decisions in life. In, a, in the African church, one of the key ways of communicating the Bible is through using uh, discs or tapes of Scripture. And it's amazing how, how uh, people can gather in groups and they will listen to, 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 to a tape or to a disc of a passage of Scripture, and then they will discuss it. Then they will ask questions. Uh, and uh, many of these people are not literate. But what we have found in our Bible Society experience is that if people learn the Scriptures uh, uh, orally, then it creates a desire to learn to read. And in fact, uh, rather than becoming a substitute for literacy, it becomes a stimulus and that Christians who, who discover God's word eh, orally, eh, as they hear it, eh, want to learn to read it. And they therefore <coughs> are stimulated to learn to read. <coughs> and so eh, God has given us his word in order that we might store it in our memory and so that we might be able to recall it. Of course, recalling Scripture is important, not simply that we know the facts of Scripture, but that we're able to use Scripture in a meaningful way, because we have see, already noted that uh, part of the problem that we face today is that Scripture can be, can be misinterpreted, and uh, people can uh, use Scripture to confuse themselves and to confuse others. And so 
this leads us to, I mean, what is the best way of interpreting Scripture? The United Nations uh, Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, when it defines uh, 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 literacy, it defines it as functional literacy. Not simply the ability to read and write, but the ability to use that reading and writing to enhance their lives and to uh, work in the service of others. Uh, and so I think we could argue that biblical literacy is the ability to read, search, and interpret the Bible and to communicate its basic message to others. And so it's not simply a question of knowing the text, but knowing how to use the text and how to share the text of Scripture with others. It involves a continuum of discipleship learning that is based on regular engaging with Scripture and, uh, and, and causes biblical values to become embedded in our personalities and in our lifestyle. And so the biblical literacy uh, is the ability to inhabit Scripture, to understand Scripture, to interpret Scripture and communicate Scripture to others. And this leads me to the second point that I want to uh, mention tonight, and that is the first point was the importance of memory. I think the second point is to recognize the importance of discovering the melody of Scripture. The melody of Scripture. There is a harmony in Scripture. Scripture has a story. And it's not just a, a collection, a haphazard collection of texts. It's not even a, a logical connection of texts. The scripture is a story. And it is a narrative. And it is so important for us to be able to discern that narrative, not simply the historical narrative, but the thematic narrative of, uh, of, of Scripture. There is a melody in Scripture. This year we've been celebrating uh, in the, the, the 400th anniversary of the translation of the King James Bible in 1611. It was quite a remarkable achievement uh, although the King James Bible took 40 or 50 years to gain acceptance among English-speaking people, it became the supreme Bible for 300 years. And it was the Bible that those of us who were my, my age were brought up on. And uh, it still is highly regarded in many parts of the world. And there is a, a children's nursery rhyme that, according to some traditions, it was composed to mark the original publication of the King James Bible. And that nursery rhyme is Sing a Song of Sixpence. I'm not sure if uh, children are still taught that nursery rhyme today. Uh, Sing a Song of Sixpence, a pocket full of rye, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. When the pie was opened, the birds began to sing. Now, wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? Now, what, is that, what on earth has that got to do with the Bible? Uh, well, four and twenty blackbirds, where there were only 24 letters in the English alphabet at that time, uh, because two letters, uh, the, the letter U and the letter V, were, were shared, and the letter S and the letter F were shared. And so there were only 24 letters in the, in the alphabet, so that the, uh, the, the, the 24 uh, 
pieces baked in a pie were letters of alphabet. They were baked in a pie, and the printer would take these letters. It was long before the days of computers, and each letter had to be taken manually and put onto a, onto a plate, and each page of the Bible was printed in this way. And then the poem goes on and says, And when the pie was opened, the birds began to sing. And so all of these letters being brought together, the 24 blackbirds, as it were, being brought together, uh, produce a harmony, produce a song, produce a melody, the message of the Bible. And wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king, the king being uh, King James? So I think it's important for us to recognize that there is coherence in the Bible. And that coherence is there because the Bible has been inspired by God. And we, when we study the Bible, are to look for the coherence. And that's what Jesus does here. He's not simply relating to one text of Scripture, but he's relating to four different texts of Scripture. And he's bringing them together, and he's showing how each one supports the other. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is he's helping the Pharisees and helping his disciples and helping us to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And that is the great principle that was rediscovered at the Reformation, that the key principle of interpreting the Bible is that Scripture interprets itself, and that we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. You can pick any verse out of the Bible to support virtually any ideology or any point of view, if you take it in isolation. And you can lead yourself astray and lead many other people astray. But if you do what Jesus does here and take the, all the verses of the Bible and try to make sense of them together, then you will discover that there is a coherence. You will discover then the, 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 the coherent message of the Bible. And God has given us his word to be a functional uh, uh, help to us in our Christian lives. The, handbook, the, the Bible is a handbook for living. It's not primarily a theological textbook, although it is that, of course, but it's primarily the book that God has given not to theologians, but given to the people of God. And it is our book, and God has given it to us as a handbook. You know, if you get a new car, you get a handbook with a car. If you buy a new refrigerator, you get a handbook with a refrigerator and so on. And uh, if you want to know how the car works or how the refrigerator works, you go to the handbook. Now, God, our maker, has given us his handbook. And in the Bible, we have the maker's instructions. In the Bible, God has given us the instructions for living, for right living, righteous living. That's what the Bible has been given to us. The Bible is a practical book. It is not a theoretical book. It is a practical book. It is a handbook for living. And many people are discovering the Bible to be that today. And we give God thanks for that. And associated with the dramatic growth of the church in the southern part of the, of the uh, southern hemisphere of the church and in the Far East uh, is the, the dramatic distribution of Scripture. Uh, someone who wrote, was writing uh, 50 years ago about the history of the, of the growth of the church uh, summed up that history in, in, in one sentence. First a Bible, then a church. Or first a Bible, then a convert, then a church. 
That was, is the order. The Bible is the seed of the kingdom of God. And there is a close correlation between the translation and distribution of the scriptures and the growth of the church. As people receive the gospel, they receive uh, the scriptures in their own language. They discover that, that God, God, God loves them because they discover that God has learned their language. That's the extraordinary thing that we see in many tribal groups around the world. They are absolutely thrilled to discover that God speaks their language, and they discover that when the Bible is translated into their own language. And so the Bible and Christianity is not something foreign, not something outside. Now, I remember many years ago when we lived in Peru, uh, seeing this being demonstrated. <coughs> At that time, there was very little of the Bible translated into the Quechua language. <coughs> there was one <clears throat> the first, uh, the first uh, translation of the New Testament was available, but it was not widely known. It was being revised uh, by a, a friend of ours, and along with a team of, 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 of uh, native speakers. And, um, uh, but the Quechua people felt very downtrodden. They were treated as, uh, almost as animals uh, at the time of the Spanish conquest, and even by the church. The, 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 the Spanish priests had a long debate as to whether the Indians, the Quechua people, really had a soul. And so they, they, they had a very low sense of self-esteem. And I remember when our friend who was, who was revising the New Testament in Quechua would come down to Lima, he would stay with us, and he would speak to a boy, a houseboy, in the, in the flat across the landing from ours. And he would speak to him in Quechua. And this, he was a Quechuaista. He was, he was from the mountains. And the boy would cover his face in shame. He didn't want to be known as a Quechuaista. He was ashamed. Now, since then, the Bible has been, not only the New Testament has been revised, but the whole Bible has been translated. And the whole culture has been uplifted. And there's a new sense of, of purpose, a new sense of, of the dignity of being made in the image of God among the Quechua-speaking people. And the church has flourished among the Quechua-speaking people because they came to recognize that God speaks their language. And they've discovered the melody. They discovered the song, <coughs> which is the song of salvation, which is the song of Scripture. And so it is important for us to recognize that, uh, that, that there is a coherent message in the Bible, and that we discover that message as we compare Scripture with Scripture, and as we use one Scripture to interpret another. Now, there's various, there's various rules for doing this. One is that you interpret the Old Testament by the New, and that you recognize that there are certain laws in the Old Testament that, 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 that have been repealed by the, by the coming of Jesus. I remember um, just under a year ago, perhaps 10 months ago, seeing a program on television of uh, a very conservative uh, church in America where one of the members of the church was tearing down his house with a massive... Uh, 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 mechanical shovel and he was ripping up his house because there was mildew on the walls and he couldn't get rid of the mildew and there is of course a verse I think in the book of Leviticus that tells that, that told the people that, that, that if there was a mildew in their home they should tear it down now that man took that literally he didn't recognize that that was a, a law that was given at a specific time for a specific purpose and has been by implication repealed by the, 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 the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These laws were there 
as, as, as if you look, teaching models of what sin is and of the need for, 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 for repentance and, and, and so on. But there was a man who, who, who really destroyed his home through misunderstanding Scripture. You see, he, he only read one part of it. And he didn't find, he didn't see the coherence. He didn't see the, 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 the theme. Uh, that he didn't hear the melody of Scripture. And so, the second step of hearing the melody in Scripture, I think, is very important. So, it's not just a question of memory. It's not just a question of memorizing Scripture, important as that is. It is also the challenge of connecting it all together and being able to discern, being able to hear, being able to obey the, 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 the thematic message of Scripture. We discover that following the example of Jesus when we, could, when we use Scripture to interpret Scriptures. But then again, there's a third step that Jesus takes the, 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 the Pharisees and his disciples to, and that is to recognize in Scripture not only that there is a melody, but also that there is a majesty. And that majesty is Jesus himself. He doesn't simply demonstrate how texts interpret each other. He relates these texts to himself when he tells them a greater one than the temple is here. And he's saying the temple is there. Yes, it was, it was, it was built uh, 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 under, uh, under the instructions of God under, under Solomon in the Old Testament. But it was there for a purpose and for a limited purpose. And that purpose has been fulfilled. A greater than the temple is here. He's speaking about himself. He also speaks about the Sabbath. He said that the Sabbath is there. The Sabbath was given by God, yes, but the Sabbath points to him who is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is here telling his disciples and telling the, telling the, the Pharisees that Scripture points to him and that he is the one that uh, is the focus of Scripture. And the key to understanding Scripture is to recognize that all of Scripture witnesses to him, some parts of it more directly and more explicitly than others. But all Scripture is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scripture, Jesus says in, in, in John's Gospel, the Scriptures testify of me, or the Scriptures witness uh, to me. And so he interprets Scriptures uh, through his own self-understanding of the Scriptures, of be, that he is greater than the temple and that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he sets his disciples free from the casuistic legalism of the Pharisees. And he encourages them to see in the temple, in, in, in the Sabbath, in the scriptures, to see him. And to recognize that the scriptures are pointing to him. Now if anyone emphasized this at the time of the Reformation, it was Martin Luther. And Martin Luther spoke and wrote again and again about seeing Christ in the scriptures. And Calvin also uh, spoke about the scriptures as the scepter of Jesus. And you know what a scepter is? It is a symbol of royalty. Now, when, as Christians, we declare that Jesus is Lord, that is the basic Christian confession. Jesus is Lord. But he immediates his lordship to us and over us through the scriptures. And so that the authority of scripture and the authority of, the, of Jesus are not two different things. They're one and the same thing, or two sides of the same coin. 
And so Jesus mediates his lordship over us through the scriptures. And if we want to know what Jesus wants us to do, we go to the scriptures. Jesus is the one to whom the scriptures point. Jesus is the one who uses the scriptures to lead and to guide us. He is the, he, uh, the scriptures are his scepter. It is through the scriptures that he leads us and guides us into our understanding, into a proper understanding of his will for us. The scriptures testify to him. Martin Luther used to say that when he read the Gospels, Jesus Christ stepped out of the page and met him. So when we read the Bible, we come not simply to analyze a text, and it's important that we do that, but there's much more to Scripture engagement than that. We come to the Scriptures not simply to, 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 to analyze them, but to find Jesus. And so the Scriptures are a life-transforming book because Jesus steps out of the page and meets people. And he meets us as we read the scriptures, as we meditate upon them. It doesn't happen automatically. It is not something mechanistic, but it is something that does happen. And the promise is that it will happen. Jesus on the road to Emmaus told the disciples how the scriptures testified of him. And the disciples said, our hearts burned within us, they said afterwards, as he spoke to us, as he interpreted the scriptures to us. And so Jesus said all of the scriptures witness to him. He spoke about the law, the prophets, and the Psalms in the, as he spoke to, his, to the disciples after the Emmaus walk. And all of the scriptures witness and testify to him. And so it is through the scriptures that we discover Jesus. And so Jesus gives us these uh, three um, steps in helping us to, to how to use, how does he want us to use our Bibles? Well, first of all, I think he wants us to, to, to remember the Scriptures, to, to recognize the importance of memory, so that we lay up the Scriptures in our heart and they're down deep in our personalities and that we're able to recall them in moments of crisis. Secondly, he wants us to, to hear the melody of Scripture, to discover the message of Scripture, to discover the song that Scripture is singing, which is a song of salvation. It's, it's the gospel is the song of Scripture. And the gospel, of course, is both bad news and good news. Uh, as Martin Luther uh, used to say, uh, to quote him again, he said, when we discover God, first of all, we discover him as an adversary because he, is, he, he comes to accuse us of being sinners. But the gospel is, above all, good news because God comes as an adversary in order that he might, be, might discover him as a friend. And uh, 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 God comes to us uh, in that way. And that is the message of Scripture. That is the melody of Scripture. That the, 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 the message of the gospel is found not only in the New Testament, but we can trace it right throughout the whole storyline of Scripture. But, of course, in the third place, as we've said as we've indicated, Scripture it leads us to Jesus. It leads us not simply to, to Christian doctrine, important as that is. It leads us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we read Scripture, ultimately, we should read Scripture on our knees and bow down before the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Lord. Because he is the one who 
who mediates his will to us through the scriptures. As Calvin said, the scriptures are the scepter through which he indicates to us what his will is. You remember one of the psalms speaks of the, of, of the psalmist uh, looking at the eye of his master and wondering what he wanted, what his master wanted him or her to do. And that is, a, in a very real way, is how we should read Scripture, to find out what Jesus wants us to do. And if you find yourselves facing a difficult decision, if you find yourselves at a crossroads in life, then come to the Scriptures and ask Jesus to show you what you should do. And again and again, Christian people have discovered that Jesus does show them. It may, that may not come automatically. It may, take, it, may take, it may take time. It may take weeks. It may take months sometimes. But Jesus does show us what to do through the Scriptures. It is through the Scriptures that we discover his will. And so biblical literacy is the ability to use the Scriptures to use the scriptures in order that we might affirm Jesus Christ as Lord, not only in our own lives, but in our, in, in, in our witness to other people. And that's one of the things that I think we need to rediscover today, is to share the scriptures with others, so that we, we, we talk about the scriptures. And I think this is one of the reasons why the church in Africa has grown so, so, so dramatically. It is because when an African Christian is waiting for a bus in Nairobi or wherever, and the bus is late in coming and they begin to talk, they don't talk about the weather as we tend to talk here in Scotland. They'll talk about their experience, and an African Christian will say, you know, God said this to me today. And, you know, I was grappling with this problem, but I read my Bible this morning, and, you know, God really helped me. And so the Bible is commended as a book that, 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 that fixes things, as a book which, which, which changes lives. In the, the, some of the most dramatic growth of the church in the world in the 20th century was seen in South Korea. And when the, the, the church growth there was at its height, the churches were sharing the scriptures with others. The Bible Society in Korea used to publish each month a little leaflet with just containing perhaps one passage or two passages of Scripture. And each church throughout the land would have their, their name and the times of their services imprinted on the back of that leaflet. And then these leaflets would go to the churches, and every Sunday each member of the church would receive from their elder a packet of 50 of these uh, leaflets. And they were expected during that week to distribute these 50 leaflets, not surreptitiously going and pushing them in a letterbox and running away, but handing them over and witnessing as they did so. I remember Andrew Kim, who for many years was the general secretary of the Bible Society, and the first time I went to Korea, he told me that he, was, he, he took a taxi one day in Seoul, and uh, he, gave, he paid the taxi driver, there was some change due, and as the, the taxi driver gave him back his change, he said, excuse me, sir, I've got some good news for you, and handed him one of his own leaflets, one of the scripture leaflets. He also told me about uh, an elder in one of the big, huge Presbyterian churches that you find in Korea, who was a tycoon, 
And when he was at a big conference in, 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 the, in the conference center or in the Hilton Hotel or whatever, he would take time off at lunchtime and go down into the lobby of the hotel and distribute scripture. And he would, come, he would say, I've got good news for you. And people would say, what is the good news? It was an opportunity to witness. That was the, these were the years when the church in Korea grew and was the fastest, probably the fastest growing church that we've seen in the last four, three or four hundred years. And the scriptures were, were there as at, the, at the heart of that growth. The scriptures were the, the, the seed that was sown as, uh, by the people of God. And it is as we discover how to distribute the scriptures today and share them with others in a meaningful way that I believe God will cause the church to grow again in our land. And so we have this challenge that is presented to us by Jesus. He challenged not only the Pharisees, not only his disciples, but he's challenging us today how we can use the Scriptures. May God grant that each and all of us may discover in the Scriptures the scepter of Jesus, and that they may lead us to him, that we may lay them up in our hearts and memorize them and be able to recall them, and that we may go forth rejoicing with the melody of Scripture, in not only rejoicing in it in our own hearts, but also rejoicing to share that song with others. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.